Welcome to Hale Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise, with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hale Varsity and at Schmitz underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmitz. Great to have you in on Tuesday. It's Hale Varsity presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Damon Barr is flying the Millennium Falcon today. He's got his sleeves rolled up, ready to go. We are busy. We are excited to chat with some awesome people today and hear from you. you can dial us up 466-3776-800-825-5865. Find us on Twitter. Give us a follow. Chris Schmidt at Schmidt underscore radio. Or at Damon Barr. That's two R's. And email Chris at HaleVarsity.com. Some thoughts on Rashad Bateman, the standout wideout from Minnesota, saying, I'm good. And uh, we'll spend some time on Nebraska. Really nice write-up by Mitch Sherman on substance. Just what substance looks like for Nebraska football in 2020. If we get football in 2020. Hour two, we are slammed. Uh, former Colombo crime boss, Michael Franzis, back with us. He is uh, part of a new Netflix program that's out, that's been trending and been viewed, quite honestly, by a, a lot of folks. It's uh, routinely in the top five of most watched, at least when I watched the series. But it uh, is called Fear City. Fear City. The uh, New York versus the Mafia. And uh, Michael Franzese, if you're not familiar with his story, former uh, Colombo crime boss and uh, capo. Uh, his father was in the Mafia. Michael Franzese uh, was in the Mafia, but uh, walked away and has lived to tell about it. So a, a lengthy, the right kind of sit down with Michael Franzese coming up at 5 o'clock. Zubin Mahente uh, is uh, a guy you watch on SportsCenter, and you'll be hearing on ESPN Radio Lincoln and some of our other affiliates that are ESPN affiliates. Uh, Zubin's super talented, good dude, Rutgers grad. So we'll talk a little Big Ten with Zubin, and uh, he is uh, part of the new morning show, uh, you know, post uh, Greenberg and Golick, post uh, Wingo and Golick. It is uh, Zubin, uh, Mahente, uh, Jay Williams, former Duke star, and, of course, uh, Keyshawn Johnson Sr. So that will launch August 17th. We will talk uh, all things football and fall ball with Zubin Mahente coming up in about 540. You have the numbers to get in. Let's uh, get rolling. Thomas Fedoni, news to get to. A nice story by Evan Bland from the World Herald detailing an unofficial visit that is deemed uh, an official by perhaps some teammates, some future teammates of Thomas Fedoni, the standout tight end from Council Bluffs. But we'll start off with Adam Rittenberg news. Uh, this just uh, fresh on Twitter shortly after four. And uh, college football writer Adam Rittenberg, he is hearing that this is what is likely for the Big Ten. He's hearing the Big Ten will release their schedule Wednesday, along with medical protocols for this football season. It also could be delayed further. What's been going on? What's the holdup? 
and that sounds super insensitive, so forgive me there, but that's that's what a lot of us are thinking. All right, Big Ten, you were the first to say 10-game schedule. Awesome. Now give us a schedule, please. But you have Commissioner Warren, and what he was doing uh, yesterday was speaking with athletes from around the league. So the commissioner himself is hands-on, and he's reaching out to different athletes, and he's listening to the athletes and their concerns about playing during a pandemic. It's not a group of Big Ten players putting out a statement via the undefeated asking for a bunch of demands. And while demands are nice and voice is important, you have the commissioner of the Big Ten saying, okay, uh, let's let's make some phone calls and let's spend some FaceTime with kids that are putting the helmets on or putting the uh, the basketball shorts on or the volleyball pads on and let's let's do our thing. Let's talk. So that is part of the delay. You're going to have a health protocol that's out and probably a schedule release. How different does that look for Nebraska? in 2020 i i i hope they don't jerk with nebraska purdue now they'll probably mess with a start time and my feeling is this i think what's gonna happen i've been wrong all the way so (laughs) don't bet on me right because i thought september 5th is gonna happen because it's friday's the day man friday's the day you're, you're supposed to be able to start hitting people and while nebraska's been doing their mini camp and They've been doing their walkthroughs and their workouts. You got to start teeing off on one another before you can tee off on somebody else. I'm anxious to see where Nebraska is schedule-wise. What's the 10-game schedule look like? Do you mess with Nebraska-Purdue? But do you shift the start date back? The SEC just came out earlier today. They are not starting their fall camp workouts until the 17th of August. So you need 25 days to ramp up. You have an August 17th start date. And they've, they've shortened their practice windows, so they're going to do like 25 hours. And they're, they're allowing more time for breaks because it, it eventually just gets tiresome whacking away at one another. So that would work out well with the September 26th Saturday kickoff. That's what the Pac-12 is doing. It looks like the ACC and the Big 12 were going to go earlier. I think all of that's on hold, honestly. And I think the Big 10 probably will move back their start date instead of that that September 5th because you were going to have – you want to roll out the college football season with Big 12, then Big 10, then ACC, and then Pac-12 – and SEC that final weekend in September. I think everybody's going to say, all right, NFL, you're professional. All right, NFL, you always get things kicked off September 10th or September 11th. Around that, September 8th, that second week, you go right ahead. And let's see how the the fallout is after week one and, and maybe even week two of NFL action with limited to no fans in the stands and and what's the positivity rate and infection rate look like after you, the NFL, play 
because you're paid to do so. I think that's where the SEC is going. You have time to weed through who's positive, who's not, and what's the campus number look like when kids are on campus. You have that that time between the week of uh, the distance learning, that first week you're, you're back the 17th of August, and then you have in-person courses where you're in uh, the good old lecture hall the uh, last week of August. If you're the if you're the if you're the Big Ten and you see not that you need to follow the SEC, but if you want to take time and say, ah, oh, yeah, that end of September thing looks all right because you're going to have a two week study of the NFL, and if and if everyone's infected in the NFL, then you can slam the brakes on from a liability standpoint. But that's the latest from Adam Rittenberg. The Big Ten should put their schedule out tomorrow. You've had a lot of news, right? You've had Northwestern. You have the Indiana mother who posted about her son on Facebook. And you also have everybody. at Everybody's a, a strong term. You have a lot more infections during a quarantine at Rutgers. They're up to 28. That's, uh, that's a large, large number. So Big Ten's still taking their time. They're still cautious. And if, if things move forward... Instead of September 5th, let's see if Nebraska can uh, lock horns with Purdue at some point in September. But keep that game for me. Keep that game for Purdue. Keep that game for Nebraska because I'm sure there's been some studying that's been going on for that opener. Be nice. And then let's see how things are reconfigured. Now, Ohio State, Michigan to kick the season off would be really cool. Do you get Minnesota, Wisconsin to get things kicked off or Wisconsin, Iowa to get things kicked off? I mean, let's play the big ones early because you don't know how much of a season you're going to have. But we'll see if the Big Ten actually uh, keeps their start date or moves back their, their fall camp opening from August 7th to match up with the SEC on August 17th. All of that probably released tomorrow. So we spoke about Minnesota just a minute ago, and the other news of the day is Rashad Bateman. Rashad Bateman was fantastic against Penn State. Rashad Bateman was real nice against Auburn, and he was a returning high-level player for Captain Morgan to throw touchdown passes to Tanner Morgan, the returning quarterback for Minnesota. Eight starters were supposed to be back for the Gophs. They've lost a running back. They lost uh, uh, Johnson, who went to the NFL. You're replacing a lot defensively if you're Minnesota. What does this mean for the Gophers? And you had Rashawn Bateman. Rashad Bateman put out a, a video earlier today, which means the video's probably was made how long ago two weeks ago 10 days ago it was dropped today so it's probably not new news to pj fleck it's probably not new news to his teammates at minnesota but this is arguably along with the virginia tech defensive back the the two most high profile guys to opt out and want to protect themselves for the nfl so this has been pushed way up you've seen it for for bowl games uh you're now seeing it for the regular season, and Todd McShay has Bateman, the number 19 player ranked in his way too early 
top 32 prospects, you're going to have a lot of high-level SEC-type wide receivers in this year's draft. But Bateman's put up really good stuff uh, against a defense like Penn State, and he's put up good stuff against uh, Auburn, and, and he was so, so nice last year. This is absolutely a blow for Minnesota. Uh, what's it do to Minnesota offensively? The, the Gophs are in a weird spot. They've got their returning quarterback. I think Ibrahim, I think he's back. He's kind of their thumper back. But he he played because guys were dinged up last year. Bateman was beyond like capable. Bateman's your guy that can take the top off, but he's also good enough to be a possession guy and get open. And this this no doubt hurts their offense. And put yourself in Bateman's shoes. Is it even a question for you to opt out? It's one thing to declare early and leave after your junior year or after your redshirt sophomore year, which rarely happens and works out. But it's another thing to to go this long and then say, uh, yeah, I'm good. And Bateman said all the right things in his video. Thank the Gopher fans. He thanked Coach Flack. He said what he needed to say. There's a part of me that thinks it's super, super selfish of him to, at this point in the year, say, you know, I'm checking out. And and he's probably a second-round guy, but he could sneak into the first round. It's also very selfish to, to criticize him <laughs> for taking care of number one with what could be and, and may be made for him in the NFL based on his projection already. So this hurts. I hope his teammates got his back is, is the, the bottom line with this. I hope his teammates are supportive of him. I hope his quarterback supportive of him. I hope Coach Flex supportive of him. They're going to say all the right things publicly. But I'm saying I hope he's welcomed back in that locker room. And I'm not saying he won't be, but it, it's, it's a blow. It's interesting that there's not been more kids to opt out. And if if that were to happen in Nebraska, I mean, Nebraska fans would have a mixed reaction, depending on clearly who it is. But if it's one of your better players that you're counting on, like a Bateman, a guy at this level, uh, it, it, would, it would be tough. It would be very tough to swallow. Now, you have different areas of where the programs are at. Minnesota's already been through their purge. They had their 11-2 and two season last year. So they're, <laughs> they're, they're either taking a step forward to challenge for a West title or they're ready to take a step back because things fell into place. Yes, they were a very good football team. They had a lot of close wins last year to start the year in the non-conference, and they had a, a tough finish. They didn't play bad football, but they didn't beat Iowa. They didn't beat Wisconsin. They got Penn State, but they went one and they went two and two in their four big dog games to end the year, and that's really the mark of a champion in the Big Ten. Do you survive? Do you survive with backups? And how do you finish out? While it didn't work out well, they got pasted by Wisconsin. A little payback there. The Gophers did rebound and beat a really good Auburn team. Uh, they lost a close, close game in Iowa City. That's that's a tough call, brother, to go get your, your signature win at home against Penn State and then flip it around and and go do it on the road in Iowa City. 
That was rough. But I think their springboard game, if you want me to be honest, was their win against Nebraska. Their springboard game was the win against Nebraska. They dominated that. They were physical. It was snowing. It was wet. It was cold. It was a great setting, except for the whole final score thing if you're a Nebraska Nebraska fan. And that gave them a bunch of confidence. We'll uh, talk some Nebraska football. Mitch Sherman, what's the outlook for 2020 for the Big Red? Michael Franzese, former mobster, coming up hour two. Hey, Varsity, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. And we're back. Fellas, you think we could listen to the radio? On Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Yes! That's awesome! Thanks for hanging out. Hale Varsity, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Damon Barr, don't forget, 5 o'clock. Former Colombo crime boss Michael Franzese back with us. A dive into some sports gambling. We welcome in with The Athletic. It's Mitch Sherman, at Mitch Sherman on Twitter. Mitch, what's up, man? Good to have you back. How you doing? I am doing well, Chris. How are you? Good, man. I, I am anxiously awaiting a Big Ten schedule, as are you. You uh, and everybody else. You and me and everybody else, yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's, it seemed like we were going to get it yesterday, and now it may be tomorrow morning, but... You know, this is fluid, and uh, that's that's a, a common common phrase, but uh, never more never more uh, accurate to describe the situation that the Big Ten is facing right now. Uh, I want to get your thoughts. Do you think the Big Ten will will mess with the Nebraska Purdue scheduling uh, start and two? From a from a day, I look at what the SEC did. They're going to start their their fall camp. Uh, on the 17th of August, they have moved things back to the end of September. Yeah. Does the Big Ten follow suit with a August 17th and end of September, let the NFL go and kind of check them out, and then is Purdue still the the first game? Uh, do you th- or do you think it's reshuffled? I think it could be reshuffled. Um, I don't know that there's a lot of need to keep the schedule as it appears right now. Um, you know it's going to be a conference game to start. I think there's a push to play some of the traditional rivalries early in the season. That's one model. That's one, um, you know, one way to do it. You could keep them at the end of the season so teams are presumably at their best. Um, you know, it's the standard time of year, but there's also, I think, a school of thought to play the bigger games early in the year. So if this thing does get shut down because of unavoidable um, circumstances, at least you've played Ohio State, Michigan, mm-hmm. and maybe in the case, you know, others around the conference, maybe in the case of Nebraska, that means you see Iowa on the schedule at the very beginning. I don't know. That's speculation. Mm-hmm. Sure. I don't know that the Big Ten has made that call. Probably they have, um, but Again, it could be changing by the hour. Um, I know that Kevin Warren, have read that Kevin Warren, um, you know, both from our reporting and, and other reports out there, you know, is, is talking with not just administrators and the coronavirus task force, but also with student-athletes on these 14 campuses and soliciting input from them on what they want. And there may be some words from those student athletes that encourage him or discourage him from staying at September 5th for the opener. I don't know what, 
you know, if they're together on a delay or starting it on time, or you see in the Big 12 starting it a week earlier, in, possibly in some instances. I say possibly because you don't know. I mean, it's on the schedule right now for week zero in the Big 12, but are we really going to see that? Is it really going to happen? Um, and, and when you when you move to the Big 10, same question. You know, are they going to want to go on September 5th? Do you want to go on the 12th? Do you want to go on the 19th like the SEC or the 26th? It's, it's um, you know, even when we see the schedule, if, if we see it tonight, tomorrow morning, in some capacity, I don't know that that means it's final until you got two teams on a field and the ball's kicked. Mitch Sherman's with us, The Athletic, Kale Varsity Radio, at Mitch Sherman on Twitter. Mitch, really enjoyed your, your story, your column uh, on Nebraska, the, uh, the, the preview of, of 2020, and it's, it's a 180 from the hype and uh, sexy pick of Nebraska 2019 to, well, Nebraska between some of the, uh, the national prognosticators, Maybe they're they're fourth in the in the West race. There's uh, some prove it, show me type mentality for Nebraska and uh, the the topic of style and substance. And what uh, what's your takeaway with you know what do you think Nebraska thinks about Nebraska? Uh, not necessarily the voices on the outside or some of the local voices, but mm-hmm. just their their own internal review of where they're at as a football program. Yeah, I did this piece that's uh, on The Athletic today um, as part of our, our biggest question series. Um, all of all the schools in the Power Five uh, are, are getting, a, or certainly the schools that we cover in the Power Five are getting examined um, in this series. What is the biggest on-field question that these schools face going into 2020? Obviously, the biggest question overall as a program for every one of these schools involves um, the ability to play football this year. So this is more focused on 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 field stuff. And you know, I stretched it um, a, a bit uh, into uh, the locker room, into the the psyche of the program, and and asked whether Nebraska is ready finally to put substance over style. And you know, I think for years that's something Nebraska has wanted, and that's why Nebraska, frankly, brought Scott Frost to Lincoln so that they would be able to back up, um, you know, the 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 style that this program has had. Um, and continues to have, continues just to show showcase itself and stay up with the times, um, upgrade its facilities. That's obviously in the plans. Um, stay current with, with the way that it supports its student-athletes. All of those things can go under the style category. Um, substance is what are you doing on the field? How are you improving as a program and putting yourself in a position to win football games? We're not talking about social media here. We're talking about actual um, plays and yards and, and stops on third down and special team success. I think right now, after two years, despite a six and twelve record in the Big Ten and two losing seasons under Scott Frost, that Nebraska knows what it wants to do, where it wants to get, and how it plans to get there as a program on the field better than at any point during its stay in the Big Ten. So that goes all the way back to 2011. I think in those first few years under Bo Pelini, Nebraska was a Big 12 program trying to find its way on the fly in the Big 10. And the Riley years, with the exception of the first half of the 16 season, they were a little bit lost. In some cases, they were a lot lost in how they uh, went about building things and what their vision was. And you've seen that carry over to these first two years under Scott Frost. But I think because of 
some of the things that he's instilled in the program um, and, the, and the way it's built behind the scenes, they um, are in a better place now to know where they want to get and how they want to get there. That building is focused on strength and conditioning, and you have the uh, the footage that is out from the Duval Lab where dudes are moving a lot of le- lot of weight. And Mitch, guys look like they can play in the Big Ten now. Not that some of Bo's teams didn't, or there's a few guys on Riley's teams that that didn't look like they could, but. Uh, you got to be bigger and stronger than than the guys in the trenches across from you in conference play in this conference, and it looks like Nebraska is getting there. Point being that they still got to to show it right on that Saturday Saturday afternoon or Saturday night. Yeah, I mean the the video. I would say the videos that Zach Duvall has put out. You know, they fall under the category of style and substance, and and, and I'm not advocating that Nebraska do away with the style in its program. I think it's great the advances that Nebraska has made in promoting itself as a program. It's really important for recruiting, but that isn't that isn't that can't be the foundation on which you build winning. And I think as fans, people have gotten it as media, we've gotten caught up at times in looking at some of that and saying, "Okay, you know, this means they're on the path to 9, 10, 11 wins." When in fact, that's just a small component. That's a part of the building process that allows you to then take the next steps to, to put it together on the field. And, you know, you see it all kind of come together in the weight room with some of the stuff that, that Zach DeBall has publicized. This is like the new age way of back in the, the 80s and 90s when Boyd Eppley would, would, would gather up the reporters at the, at the end of spring or the end of winter or the beginning of, of August and say, hey, here's our, here's our 10 guys who ran the fastest, and these are the 10 guys who lifted the most weight. Um, you know, Scott Frost has talked in his first couple of years about wanting to get back to some of that and because it created accountability, because the guys in the weight room and the guys in the locker room and on the roster understood that if they weren't doing their part and holding up, it wasn't just their teammates who were going to know about it. You know, that stuff was going to get out in the public. If you were a, uh, a top recruit, um, or, you know, a big-time player, a starting defensive lineman on the team, and you weren't in the top 10 or top 15 uh, bench press lifters that, 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 that Boyd released, um, you know, people were going to notice that. So there was accountability because of, of uh, you know, don't think that Tom Osborne was doing that, you know, with, with, without having that in mind, mm-hmm. um, without having that accountability factor in mind. So I, I think that's, that in some ways, what we're seeing now over the last month with, with Duval's videos, this is the modern-day version of, um, you know, those Boyd Epley uh, gatherings that he would have. And, uh, you know, it's cool, and it, it, it's good to see. And, yeah, there are definitely guys, especially the linemen, who look like they belong in the Big Ten more than what you saw from Nebraska, um, you know, even a year ago, certainly two, three, four years ago. Mitch, want to end with this. Rashad Bateman uh, opting to uh, step away from Minnesota focus on the NFL. Uh, I, I understand. How big a hit is this for Minnesota? I know he's really good, but Minnesota, kind of a, a trendy number two pick behind Wisconsin. What's the fallout here? Yeah, I think it's huge. I mean, uh, Tanner Morgan had gaudy numbers a year ago um, as a quarterback at, at, at Minnesota, and of course a lot of that had to do with the receivers 
that they had. Um, you know, and Bateman was there with, with Tyler Johnson as a fantastic receiver, and now they're both gone. And, you know, I think Minnesota still has some guys who can catch the ball, but you take those two off, and it's not going to be the same kind. There, there's not the, it's not as dynamic as it was. But this is a reality of college football in 2020. You know, while Bateman is in the news today because he decided to opt out and focus on his future, uh, Minnesota is going to be far from the only team uh, around the country, in the Big Ten, in this division that gets hit by a player who decides, this isn't for me. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not uh, jeopardizing my future uh, to to play six games or eight games or, you know, be quarantined for, for half of the season and put my, my health at risk. Now I, I, I am fully in agreement that there is some benefit and there will be benefit for a lot of college football players to be on the field. One in order to improve their stock as future pros for Bateman, that probably wasn't as much of an issue because he's already solidified in that way. And two, frankly, to stay healthy. I think the structure of playing college football is going to help a lot of players. But um, if Rashad Bateman wants to go off and focus solely on the NFL and he's not going to be out socializing, um, he can control his environment a lot more as a player getting ready for the NFL than he can in a college locker room, um, in classrooms on that Minnesota campus, going into stadiums. Um, and it's it's impossible, I think, to criticize his decision. Mitch Sherman from The Athletic at Mitch Sherman on Twitter. Mitch, great to get caught up again. We'll, we'll do this soon, uh, and thanks for a few minutes today. You bet. Thanks, Chris. Take care. Have a good rest of the week. Chime in, 402-466-ESPN, or email the show, chris at hailvarsity.com. Just try me. Try me. Back to Hail Varsity Radio. Thanks for spending time. It's Hale Varsity, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Damon Barr, Michael Franzis, and Zubin Mahente. Coming up here in one hour, the 5 o'clock hour, 466-3776-800-825-5865. So this from Teddy Greenstein and uh, his report on, you know, what should happen tomorrow with the Big Ten schedule, and you've got the Players' Tribune essay uh, on a lot of college athletes' minds. So, uh, per the Tribune, Commissioner Warren attempted to meet with two student-athletes, a little bit more specific, two student-athletes from the Big Ten school by video conference, one player and uh, one from a different sport, one football player, one player from a different sport. Those calls got uh, completed yesterday and wrapped up today. So Warren wants the pulse of the players before deciding whether to move forward or pull the plug on the season. So you have that, and we go back to Rutgers. We go back to Rutgers and their outbreak and the fact that they uh, have had – we're pushing near 30 with uh, Rutgers football. Uh, so that's the latest from a uh, pretty well-sourced guy we just heard from Mitch Sherman and uh, the latest from uh, Teddy Greenstein. So there was a road trip this weekend, and uh, Evan Bland of the World Herald put this story out there. I want to give him credit and I got, I read through this, and I've gotten the biggest kick out of 
some Nebraska commits for 2021 and some current guys on the team taking matters into their own hands for one Thomas Fedoni. So I got to ask Damon. Damon's a man of the people. Damon's got a garage band. Damon likes wine. Damon's Mr. Rum. If I were to have somebody from Nebraska show me a good bleeping time and take me around, Damon Barr would be a draft pick, my friend. Would I? That, you would. That means a lot to me. It'd be, it, there'd be a nice dinner. Yes. There'd be some alcohol. A little bit. And there'd be some conversation. Definitely. It'd be fun. Thank you. And so if you were to try and impress a peer to come to Nebraska, give me the itinerary. So we take them, I think we start off trip to the stadium. Okay. Just get on the grass somehow. Not sure how that's going to. Climb the fence. Yeah. Somehow get in the stadium. Show it off to them. (laughs) (laughs) Bring them down to the hay market. Show them what the the nightlife is like. You can rock the the rail yard. Socially distant, of of course. Of course, with our masks on outside. And yeah, just show them everything downtown has to offer if you... Uh, are on the team that's mostly where you're going to be I assume coming from out of town so I feel like just getting the hang of the area and getting to know who you'll be spending your time with is the most important thing yeah it it is and that's the uh, that was the plan for for some of the Nebraska commits that said what are you doing hey buddy Let's do a little roadie. See, Damon, I think you'd probably take me down to the rail yard and we'd do some outdoor seating mm-hmm. uh, along Canopy Street. Right. And then we'd have a choice of one of the phenomenal restaurants down there to get fat and happy. Sounds like a good time. And then with, with the proper ID, we could hydrate. Yes. <laughs> so Thomas Fedoni uh, made a trip, an impromptu trip to Lincoln and... So the, the ringleader on this is Heinrich Harburg, the quarterback out of Kearney Catholic. He is Mr. Peer Recruiter. Apparently, he's got a Ford Raptor. Uh, that, that's what they wrote in. You had offensive lineman Henry Lutovsky. We'll call him Bluto. That's a compliment. And then you've got Seth Malcolm. He's an Iowa kid, the linebacker. Teddy Prohaska, I think they had to keep the sunroof open for Teddy. He's 6'9". And then you had Fedoni. And uh, what happened is there were some video games, it sounds like, and they wanted him to go beyond the, the text messages. They wanted to go beyond social media. They wanted to sit out and, God forbid, get socially distant but face-to-face. And what they do? They just hung out. They were dudes. Harburg, Lutovsky, Prohaska, Malcolm gave Fedoni a phone call. We're heading down to Lincoln. No coaches, no assistants, not university sanctioned at all. And the peers just hung out. They crashed at Prohaska's house. And they said, we want to, uh, to get to know you. We could all be playing together. This is who we are. These are our personalities. Let's do a little bonding. And with the pandemic and, and official visits and the fact that Fedoni's probably not going to do an official to Iowa or Nebraska because he's been to both places so many times, 
on unofficial visits. I mean, he's wanting to go check out Georgia. He wants to go visit LSU. He wants to go see Michigan. He had some current underclassmen be a part of this thing. Bryce Benhart, Turner Corcoran, Garrett Snodgrass that that made an appearance. You had Rothdahl, the, the tight end, that kind of conveyed and answered some questions about Coach Becton and the offense. And you know what? That's a brilliant plan. It's sincere. But you hear coaches talk about all the time, the best teams we have are player-led. And quite honestly, the best chemistry also, too, is, is player-led. Do you have accountability? Do you have leadership? But do you really enjoy hanging out with people? I mean, you're going to be spending God knows how many hours together over X number of years. Can you stand one another versus what's happening Saturday afternoon or evening for three and a half, four hours? Brilliant, brilliant ploy. And it's not even a ploy. It's just, hey, let's catch up. Let's get to know one another. And you have Prohaska quoted in, in, in Evan's story here that, you know what, I'd say the trip helped him. That's the quote that sticks with me in this. Getting comfortable with the guys he could play with. They played video games, I think. What the heck's it called? It's not Mario Kart or drunken Bill Walsh's college football back in my day. Or even some some Madden. Smash Bros? Super Smash? What the hell's that? It's like a fighting game. Ah. Okay. Is it sweet? Yeah, it's fun. It's, it's a bunch of uh, Nintendo characters in one fighting game. <laughs> That's what it is. So is it Donkey Kong and Super Mario? And who are the characters? Uh, everyone you could possibly imagine all in one game. Yeah, you had it pretty much right. Who else? <laughs> Zelda? Yeah, in it. I mean, it, there's too many to name. Who's, there's who's, hundreds. Who's the player to pick, though? Uh, is it is it Mario or Luigi? I think it's I, th- I think it's Princess uh, Peach actually. Right, the princess. She's okay. she's the best. Yeah. And then they went and had wings. Lots and lots and lots of wings, big time. We'll wind down hour one. Hail Varsity continues, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. And now, and now back to Hail Varsity Radio. Thanks for hanging out. Hail Varsity presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Damon Barr. We are loaded up. Uh, next hour, uh, Michael Franzese, former Colombo crime boss, and uh, has really reinvented himself uh, with uh, his projects on Netflix. Fear City is the latest uh, miniseries that's on Netflix about New York. Law enforcement trying to take down the mafia. Michael Franzese featured heavily in that. He's been on with us multiple times over the years. Uh, Inside the American Mob was something he was heavily with. And he's got a YouTube channel where he does a lot of things. Uh, uh, So we'll we'll just get caught. We're going to talk a lot of sports gambling. You know, what's sports gambling like right now for the mafia? And how crazy is it with... More and more states legalizing gambling. So, Michael Franzese and then Zubin Mehente, ESPN Sports Center, is where you've watched Zubin uh, a lot uh, since 2011. Rutgers guy, so we'll get into some Big Ten with him, but he is doing the morning show with Keyshawn Johnson and Jay Williams 
Uh, that'll start August 17th on a lot of ESPN radio affiliates. So uh, Zubin will check in with us. want to remind you about uh, what not to do, and that's drink and drive. One out of three fatal crashes involves an impaired driver driving drunk, buzzed, or high. Never acceptable law enforcement officers working around the clock with sobriety checkpoints and saturation patrols. As a driver, make that correct choice. Uh, have a non-alcoholic drink or pre-select a designated driver. Be smart. Start the conversation. Who's driving home? Brought to you by the Nebraska Department of Highway Safety Office. All right. We are super tight with time with Zubin in hour two. So this is the time I ask Damon Barr, what's the plan tonight? Damon, are you, uh, it's not Wine Wednesday, so are we doing some takeout tonight with the girlfriend? Is it you and the dudes? Is it garage band practice? What do we got on the docket? Well, it's it's girlfriend night tonight. Every uh, Tuesday after work, I have, head over to her place. We'll probably get uh, uh, some takeout. I'm, I'm feeling like we haven't had Indian food in a while, so Ooh. I think that's going to be uh, the go-ahead. I was waiting on a uh, flat pack, like a desk to show up today, ah. but it hasn't come yet. I'm waiting to put that thing together. See, is it one of those desks that, that elevate? No, it's not It's not like a standing desk. That would be cool, though, but no, unfortunately. Okay, okay. So you're thinking Indian food. Yeah. Uh, do you overdo the curry when you end? I, I am... Did you say give me extra curry? I am one that does not handle the spiciness very well, so that's a no So you're you're living dangerously <laughs> yeah, because like, there's some amazing Indian food, but a lot, I, the amazing part is is the spices that I know. they hook you up with. It, it, it tastes so good, but my body hates me for it afterwards, so I really have to pace myself. So is myself. your girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you just do you bring matches or a candle or what's your deal? Uh, spend a little time uh, in the living room uh, <laughs> before bed and in the morning. <laughs> well, well, Damon Barr, do you drink rum with your Indian food? No, I'll drink a glass of milk though to, to oh, sure, contain to the numb. spice. <laughs> you put vodka in your milk? Um, I've never done that before. Not mm. sure how that would go. Google Roger Sterling and Mad Men. Okay, for for vodka and milk. I'll look it up, and it'll help the stomach. All right, uh, we'll sit down with uh, a guy who's been to a lot of sit-downs, former Colombo crime boss Michael Franzese. He is next hour, two On the way with Hale Varsity, we're presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Welcome to Hale Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise, with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hale Varsity and at Schmitz underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmitz. Back in, it's Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Welcome in, uh, former captain in the Colombo crime family and uh, motivational speaker and author Michael Franzese back with us on Hale Varsity. Michael, it's nice to spend a few minutes with you again. We were just talking Yankee baseball, a little bit of normalcy, huh? Yeah, it's a little strange to see nobody in the stands, but uh, at least we get to see the game. So uh, it's been great. Good week. Yeah, uh, Yanks are on fire. We'll uh, get into some sports thoughts in a minute, but want to start off and, and kind of get your thoughts on on the Netflix series that's out and, and doing extremely well. You're, you're heavily featured in Fear City 
New York versus the Mafia, and you've done a lot of projects like this. Before we get into that, for folks that are just checking in and hearing Michael Franzese, reset your story, if you don't mind, for folks that may be checking in for the first time. Sure, and um, you know, I think many many of them may know it, but uh, I agree. Let's let's bring them up to date a little bit. My dad, Sonny Francis, was the underboss of the Colombo family, uh, one of the five New York crime families back in the '60s. And uh, through a series of circumstances, I got involved in the life when my dad uh, was sentenced to 50 years in prison for allegedly masterminding a nationwide string of bank robberies. And it was uh, when he went off to prison in 1970 that he proposed me for membership in the family. Um, Like I said in the past, you you can't just go and join. Somebody has to propose you and vouch for you. And really we did that, uh, or I got involved basically to help my father out of what we thought would be a death sentence for him. Uh, at 50 years. So I, uh, I became a recruit in 1971, um, spent a couple of years proving myself worthy, and then I was brought into the life formally on Halloween night, 1975. And uh, you come into the life, you come in as a soldier. Um, I was fortunate. I did quite well financially for the family and for myself. In 1980, I was elevated to the position of uh, regime or captain. And, um, you know, I I held that position until um, I walked away from that life in 95. And, uh, you know, I had some success. I mean, a lot of people know that, uh, you know, one of the biggest um, street deals that I had was um, this whole gas tax scam that myself and another uh, person created for ourselves. And basically, we were taking the tax money on every gallon of gasoline and bringing in several million dollars a week as a result. And uh, at the same time, all this was going on, I became a major target of law enforcement myself, was indicted seven times. I had two federal racketeering cases. I had a multitude of arrests. And in 1985, I took a plea to racketeering, got a 10-year prison sentence. A large restitution went off to do my time. And just prior to that, I met a young woman uh, that's now my wife of 35 years. And... To make a long story short, she she kind of uh, was the motivation for me to walk away from that life and try to, you know, preserve my family and so on and so forth. And I was able to do that. I got out of prison in 95 and through another series of events, uh, became a motivational speaker, a person of faith, and been very blessed to be doing that for the last 24, almost 25 years now. So that's kind of the story in a nutshell. Well, and, and that story is tapped back into with Fear City on Netflix and New York versus the Mafia. Michael, what was life like for you in the 70s and 80s as you worked your way up in the Mafia and all this was going on between law enforcement and the Mafia Specifically, not only yourself being targeted, but other people you worked with being targeted, and eventually uh, the 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 squeeze on on the, the the head of the five families. Yeah, well, what happened? You know, I always say, uh, Chris, the golden years of the mob in New York and basically throughout the country, or really from the the fifties through the mid eighties, when uh, the government really did start cracking down with all the racketeering laws and so on and so forth. And, you know, that started to percolate, I would say, in the 70s when I came in. So, you know, there was tremendous law enforcement scrutiny on all five families during that time. And I came in just as, as that was starting. So, 
you know, I mean, it was, you constantly had to be on the alert, and you knew the government was creating new laws like the racketeering law and the Sentencing Reform Act, and a lot of that was designed to go after, you know, my myself and my former associates. So, you know, we were kind of on, on high alert. Obviously, uh, I don't think it was uh, high enough because the government had some tremendous wins, um, you know, right through the mid-'80s when they locked up all the bosses, something that was unheard of. You're never able to do that because there was so much insulation between guys on the street and the family bosses. But when they brought that RICO Act, the Racketeering Act, around, you know, things really started to crumble, and uh, a lot of people fell victim to that in my life, myself included. Uh, I'm one of the fortunate ones that got away with at least be able to preserve his life, but a lot of people I know... Uh, Chris went away for you know to prison for life. Many of them died in prison, and uh, it, was, it was just devastating for that life, no doubt. Michael Franzese is with us. You can find him on Twitter at uh, Michael Franzese. And you mentioned the the time you had to serve, and w- how were you treated in prison? Were you feared in prison because of your stature in the mafia? Were you? targeted as far as before folks knew your reputation in prison how did other uh folks within the mafia look out for you or did they look out for you when you were in prison well yeah in my case i came in with you know a lot of media attention so people pretty well knew who i was but for those that didn't i was never targeted for any bad purpose in there and yeah you know there were so many of my former associates in there that we kind of at times hung together and people knew who he were. You know, the, the biggest issue I had is because of the fanfare that I had coming in, I had you know a lot of people wanting to make deals with me and do business on the outside. Uh, you know, at times the, the um, uh, authorities didn't like that, so I was kept in lockdown quite a bit because they don't like you doing any kind of business. Or if you're getting too popular in a federal prison, uh, they don't like that either. So the, the way they do... You know, the way they deal with that is they segregate you or move you to a different place. So I never had any problems, um, you know, in that regard. And, uh, you know, guys in prison were, were pretty well respected because, you know, I guess you can you can maybe compare, um, you know, the Mexican drug cartels, the, the leaders, to, mm-hmm. to the way we were treated in there. We were looked up to as, you know, the highest-ranking family or mob organized crime group uh, really in the country and certainly in the world so that uh, we had a certain amount of respect that went with that. Michael, when it comes to sports gambling, uh, you have more and more states that are that are legalizing gambling. There's apps now. What has uh, the popularity of gambling and the legalization of gambling done, in your opinion, to the mafia? And were you able to to infiltrate in your time, uh, not only college ranks, but but also professional athletes? Were you able to have your hooks in, as you'd say, to, to some pro athletes in, in your experience? Yes, Chris, no, no, uh, no doubt about that. I mean, during my day, remember when people wanted to gamble, they had to go to a bookmaker on the street and organized crime, myself included, uh, controlled most of the bookmakers in our areas. So I had 12 or 13 that were under me, that worked with me, for me. And they had a lot of athletes gambling with them at the time. And, and many of them, you know, got themselves in trouble. They got in deep. And as a result, uh, in some cases, they would compromise the outcome of the game. And mainly that means manipulating the point spread. 
So uh, it was it was very widespread back then, in college and pro. And you know, I get asked this all the time because, as you know, I've been speaking about gambling uh, to both professional and college athletes mm-hmm. now for the past 24 years. And um, you know, it's still there. I think it's becoming worse of a problem now because of access. People can get on their phone, on their computer, and nobody's watching them, and they gamble, and they get themselves in trouble. And I can verify this because I, I, I always hear that whenever I go to a college campus. I have people emailing me, some of the athletes, and telling me the situation they're in or a friend of theirs is in. So, you know, it's never going to go away. I think, um, you know, we, we have to keep informing these young people, educating them as to the dangers of it. It didn't really hurt uh, business on the street because I say this all the time. Whatever you gamble online or, you, you know, any of these legal gambling parlors, you have to put your money down. There's no credit. And when they blow that money, what do they do? They go back to the bookmakers on the street, and they still feel somewhat comfortable with a bookmaker, you know, because bookmakers give them credit. They feel whatever they lost, you know, illegal, they'll go on the street, they can get some credit, and they'll make up the difference. And, of course, oftentimes they get in deeper. So, um, you know, it's still there, and it's uh, unfortunately it's a, it's a significant problem in all of sports. Michael, what's the most upside down either a college or a pro athlete ever got with you financially how much what's the number well with pros seven hundred thousand dollars i mean the pros got in deep and remember back in my time uh, they weren't making the kind of money they were making today so if they were in for a couple hundred thousand they were in a lot of trouble and uh you know for some reason it's my experience and i know i shouldn't throw a blanket over everyone but but uh, they don't gamble well, athletes. I don't know if it's emotion with that, you know, based upon emotion or what. But and they love to gamble. When I say they, I mean I'm not obviously saying every every athlete in the mm-hmm. sport, but so many of them love to gamble because it's really an extension of their competitiveness. You know, they raise the stakes, whether it be on their own contest or on another. Uh, they just like watching the game when they have more at stake than just watching the game and the outcome. You know, they have a, they have a real win-loss uh, uh, situation going on whenever they watch a game. So uh, some of them got in really deep. I mean, I, I've had athletes back then into me for a quarter of a million dollars. And uh, when they get in that deep, you know, they they got to do your bidding. Uh, because I, I tell them all the time, you do not get away with a gambling debt, whether it be legal or on the street. When you have a loss, you're going to pay. And if you don't have the money to pay, well, then you're going to make it up in another way. And uh, that's just the reality of it. College kids or or pros easier to prey on? Um, Well, the college kids are easier uh, because they're green and they don't realize what they're getting involved in. And for a college kid, if he's into, you know, a bookie or he's in trouble for four, five, six grand, that's a lot of money. And, you know, the biggest thing with a college kid is, hey, you're never going to the pros. You're playing ball right now. You want to make some money for yourself before you get out of school. Here's what we need you to do. And if you're in trouble because you already lost money, well, here's what you're going to do. <clears throat> so, you know, it's, it's, it's not hard to manipulate one of these young people into, um, you know, doing your bidding in their hopes of making a few bucks for themselves. It's not hard at all. A few more minutes. Michael Franzese with us, former captain in the Colombo crime family. He is uh, now an author, and uh, he is on uh, the new Netflix series, Fear City, New York versus the Mafia. I think uh, last time I saw the ranking, Fear City was number two. 
with uh, with Netflix views. Uh, just an incredible series, and, and Michael's highly profiled in it with his experience in the mafia. And uh, Michael has been doing a lot of uh, faith-based work, motivational speaking, and uh, of course, Michael, uh, we'll get to your YouTube channel that I enjoy watching here in a moment. What's your uh, your relationship with Mike Tyson like and, and Don King? How how involved in the heavyweight game were you? Well, my relationship, excuse me, relationship with Mike Tyson today is great. I really uh, I like Mike. I respect the you know the pretty incredible transformation he's made in his life because I, I didn't know him well back then, but I certainly met him and everybody knew his reputation and heard so many stories about you know Mike way back when. But I've been fortunate to uh, you know to to spend time with him now, and uh, he's genuine, very sincere, and he, he just. Uh, He's just a real guy, and I enjoy that. I mean, we're two guys from Brooklyn that, you know, started out a little rocky, but uh, we've been able to straighten things out, so it's, it's, it's nice to, to be in his company. And Don King, you know, I, I had uh, a relationship with him way back when. Um, you know, he was involved with guys in Cleveland that uh, we knew. They were family guys. And, uh, you know, he was, uh, I mean, Don was out there to make money, and he was a hustler, and you know, we used him in that regard. And, um, you know, I, I was once the subject of a major undercover operation that really tried to take myself and Don King down. Fortunately, the government wasn't able to do that. But, um, yeah, that, that's the kind of relationship we had. So he was definitely a guy that was associated with the people on the street. Michael, a thought from you on, on some, some famous mafia men. Uh, Sammy the Bull, John Gotti, Jimmy Burke, Henry Hill. Of those folks I've mentioned, who did you work with most of the time or, or at all? Or, or who did you have the best relationship with? Uh, you know, the best, I think, was Jimmy Burke back then. Um, I just liked him, and uh, I think he liked me. You know, he helped me out a little bit when I was in prison when I first first got into uh, Lewisburg Penitentiary, he, he was upstairs, I was downstairs, but he was sending me all the prison supplies that I, I would need, and, you know, that that stemmed from our relationship on the street. We never really did business, okay. uh, but I knew I knew Jimmy well. I knew Henry Hill, uh, Henry well, rather. He, um, I had kind of an affection for Henry because during that whole Boston College uh, scam that he pulled, he had... Uh, tipped me off and gave me a couple of bets on it. So, uh, you know, that's that was my first relationship with Henry. And then, you know, I knew him throughout the years. And obviously, <clears throat> when he went the other way, um, you know, it was a different relationship. Michael Franzese with us here on Hale Varsity Radio, former uh, capo in the Colombo crime family. His Netflix series, Fear City, in which he's featured, New York versus the Mafia, We'll spend a few more minutes uh, on the topic of the mafia, sports gambling, and uh, some of Franzese's associates. So a good sit down, the, the right type of sit down with a former captain in the mafia. Michael Franzese, we continue on with Hale Varsity, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. He's in his 30s, but sounds like he was born with a stogie in one hand and a brew in the other. Now, say my name. It's Schmitty on Hale Varsity Radio. I got the body of a taut, pre-teen Swedish boy. A few more minutes, Hale Varsity Radio. Our conversation continues with Michael Franzese, former Colombo captain, and uh, Netflix, Fear City. 
is the latest show Franzese is featured on. We dive into John Gotti. Uh, you know, John Gotti, I knew, I know his family well, um, and uh, I had relationship with John, some not so good. We had a couple of sit-downs over a few different things. But I respected John a lot, obviously, um, you know, and I can't say good or bad about him. And uh, Sammy, I didn't know Sammy that well. We had met, you know, the thing about that, Chris, in that life, when you're active like I was, you know, you're meeting each other in a club or mm-hmm. maybe in, a, in somebody's funeral or a wedding that we go to, because we all went to weddings and funerals out of respect for, you know, other guys in our life. So you come across people quite a bit. And, uh, you know, look, there's a lot of talk out there about Sammy, and, and I don't like to judge somebody. Sammy did what he did, and, and um, he had his reasons for it. You know, some I agree, some I don't agree with. But, you know, look, who, who am I to judge anybody to say anything like that? So I'm glad he's uh, trying to make a new life for himself now and doing some things. And, you know, people are asking me all the time, you know, the heavyweight interview of the world would be you and Sammy sitting down and just, you know, <laughs> telling stories and so on and so forth. I don't know if that'll ever happen, but I know people are trying to make that happen. So we'll see. I haven't seen him in, obviously, 35 years, but... Uh, uh, I know what he's doing. He knows what I'm doing. So we'll see if it ever comes together. So I, I think that would be an incredible two-hour, four-hour, heck, go five-part series with you and, and Sammy the Bull sitting down. Well, we both have some stories to tell. You know, certainly he with with his Gambino family, me with the Columbos, and and the interaction and so on and so forth. I mean, I see when he uh, you know when he talks, people listen and. You know, hopefully the same with me. So it would be it would be fun. I don't know if it'll ever happen, but people are trying to make that happen. So we'll see. Uh, Michael Franzis with us, Hail Varsity Radio at Michael Franzis on Twitter. Was did, did Gotti drive people nuts, or did folks just deal with him out of fear? And specifically with you, because your reputation, your reputation with the amount of money you made and the gasoline tax, you were always five, six, seven steps ahead of, of not only law enforcement, but the way you earned was was uh, lucrative. I mean, so, 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 so lucrative. Uh, with Gotti, was it tough to do business with him? Yeah, it was tough. I mean, John was, you know, he was an egotistical guy. I mean, there's no question about that. I think it speaks for itself. His public persona was that way. And, uh, you know, I mean, I certainly had no reason to fear, John. You know, there is a fallacy out there, uh, Chris, and maybe I can clarify for your, for your listeners. Uh, you know, who's the guy you feared the most in the mob and so on and so forth? I get that question all the time, and they'll talk about Gotti or Roy DeMeo because these were public guys that were, you know, uh, had reputations in that regard. But what I tell people is, look, we were all, everybody that was a made member of that life, we were all capable of doing what we needed to do. So I had no reason to fear John Gotti. I wasn't in his crew. He couldn't hurt me in any way, shape, or form. Um, Maybe the guys in his crew, because John had a reputation of not tolerating certain things or being fast with the trigger. Maybe the guys under him had some fear of staying in line because, you know, they knew what he was capable of. So, um, 
you know, and I heard a lot of talk about John on the street. There was guys that, you know, really didn't care for his public persona and the fact that he brought so much attention, you know, into the life. And, you know, some of the other bosses didn't agree with that. Same with Joe Colombo. People were upset with Joey when he was going on television and when he started the Italian-American Civil Rights League and he was bringing the mob out into the open, which is something we really didn't intentionally ever do. I mean, obviously... We became the subject of the media, but we didn't intentionally do it that way, and, and Colombo and Gotti did. So in that regard, that was frowned upon, no doubt about it. But, you know, again, I, I had no reason to fear John Gotti, and uh, I had no reason to be in fear of guys that uh, uh, that had nothing to do with me. So, um, you know, I don't, I don't know if I clarified that. Sure. Enough, but, you know, again, in that life, People are trying to tell you to stay low-key, you know, don't become the subject of investigation, stay out of the public eye. I mean, obviously it's difficult to do that when you're on the street and you're coming up. And, you know, in my case, uh, my publicity initially stemmed from my dad, who was extremely high profile back in his day. So I had the name right away. And then when I started to, you know, come up in that life and have some success and do well, well, then it really poured on. So. It just happens. It's never good <clears throat> for the life. And I've noticed this now, Chris. You know, I used to read, uh, well, I still do. I read the, the New York Post every day. I read the New York papers out here from California. And during my time, there wasn't a day that went by when there wasn't a story about the mob. You know, myself, my former you know, associates, what family, it didn't matter. Every single day. Now, you know, it could be three, four, five months before you see a story about anybody. So I think what's happening, the guys on the street finally said, hey, you know what, we got to go back to the way things were. And we got to stay low key. We got to stay out of the public eye. And that's what's going on because you can't survive when you become a, you know, when you get in, in the crosshairs of the government and the media, you're not going to survive. It's only a matter of time before they bring you down. And so, you know, I think that's what's happening, certainly in New York. And I think it's true all around the country. You don't see publicity and stories about, you know, my former associates like you once did. And for them, that's a good thing. Michael Franzese with us. Michael, we'll end on this. And thanks again for your time. How often are you uh, doing episodes on your YouTube channel? Uh, because you have a YouTube channel folks can subscribe to. They can check you out on Twitter. But you've kind of transitioned to your own uh, channel, really, on, on, uh, on, on YouTube, along with what you're doing with different uh, projects. Yeah, you know, and, and the way that happened, I mean, I, I probably have, you know, 70 or 80 million views um, in interviews that I did for other platforms on YouTube. So, you know, my team said, Mike, you know, you're doing this for everyone and, and the stories seem to resonate with people. Why don't you start your own? And you know what? I didn't realize I had a YouTube channel. I just never, I don't even know who started it. I never used it. <laughs> I, I didn't know anything about it. And then uh, it was brought to my attention. So last month, July 3rd, we posted our first uh, video. And, um, you know, it's, it's really taken off. And I'm, I'm, you know, very appreciative for the people that are listening in and, and supporting it, you know, tuning in. So what we're doing, you know, we're, we're providing a lot of content now. Every Monday we're doing Mob Story Monday, a Mob Movie Monday. It's amazing how people enjoy you know, me um, critiquing some of the scenes in the mob movies. I mean, I've done that on other platforms. People really love it. 
they love to hear about, you know, the food that I like and the people are into cooking today because of all of these popular, you know, cooking shows out there. So, uh, and I'm telling stories that um, just seem to be intriguing for people, uh, Chris. And it's, uh, it, you know, I, I never realized this when I was in the life. You know, it was part of my life. This is who I was. It wasn't until I got out of the life and I started speaking, you know, not only all over America, but all over the world, the the interest in the mafia life. It's, it's unbelievable. You can go anywhere, China, Singapore, and I've been to all of these places, Australia, and I'm surprised at how knowledgeable people are about the mob here in America. You know, Gotti is a, is a household name in some places, and, you know, Capone, and, and all these. It, it's just unbelievable. I mean, I get asked in, in Singapore, uh, you know, who killed Jimmy Hoffa? I mean, I, you wouldn't even think they knew who Jimmy Hoffa was, but they do. So, you know, people enjoy it. And uh, <clears throat> But I always said this, and I don't, I don't go on there and just tell war stories. You know, my commitment in life, because I've been so blessed and so fortunate to be alive and to have my freedom, is that I, I try to encourage people, you know, try to give them hope. Um, I recently went into the, you know, life coaching, business coaching um, arena, and uh, we've got a community now of well over 2,000 people that have, that have logged on, and I provide content that I think is, is helpful to them. And this is kind of a commitment, you know, you got to give back in life. And, uh, you know, I'm one of the most fortunate people out there, so I, I do my part. But uh, hopefully people will tune in, you know, and continue watching. We, we just dropped another mob story uh, last night that really took off. So um, hope, hopefully people are not only enjoying it, but getting a lot out of it. And from the comments that we're getting, um, that seems to be the case. So, um, you know, it's working. Michael Franzese and uh, his YouTube channel, Michael Franzese at uh, Michael Franzese on Twitter. Michael, it was great to spend a few minutes today and and, uh, we'll do this again. Thanks for your time. Well, thank you, Chris. And I hope uh, college sports uh, takes off in a big way this year. We all need it. That was a good sit down. Michael Franzese, former Colombo crime boss and uh, he's always been a part of the the, the projects uh, on the mafia as he walked away. Uh, did his time, found faith, and uh, does ministries on top of some of the YouTube uh, insight he does, and uh, was heavily featured on uh, Fear City, New York versus the Mafia. So, good stuff from Michael. He's been on with this probably 10, 12 times over the last five or 10 years, so... He's just a good dude to me, and uh, I'm glad he's flipped his life around and he's trying to help others, and good to sit down with him. Quick update on college football. Disturbing story coming out of Colorado State. You have CSU football players and university athletic department staff that say coaches at Colorado State have told players not to report COVID-19 symptoms. They've threatened players with reduced playing time if they quarantine and claim Colorado State is altering contact tracing reports to keep players practicing. And they say those actions by the athletic administration is putting their health at risk in return for monetary gain the school uh, would receive if fall sports are played. 
an athletic department staff member. There are some red flags in the athletic department, but the common denominator with this administration is to protect the coaches before the student-athletes, and that makes them feel more like cattle than student-athletes. You have another accusation here by an anonymous source. I believe there's a cover-up going on at CSU, said a current football player. But they could only cover it up so long, and now... We have so many cases across athletics, they can't cover it up anymore. It's not about health and safety of the players, but it's about just trying to make money off the players. It's a bombshell from CSU. We'll have more on that. Zubin Mahede, the uh, man from Sports Center, now on ESPN Radio. He's next. And now. And now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. Back to it, Hale Varsity Radio, into Hour 2, and uh, going to be awesome uh, weekday mornings on ESPN Radio. Zubin Mahente is with us as he's going to team up with Keyshawn Johnson and Jay Williams on ESPN Radio. Zubin, a pleasure to speak with you. How's your day? Doing great. How are you? Doing okay, man. Just waiting on uh, football word, like uh, a lot of America when it comes to COVID. And Take me uh, through this this process for you. You've been awesome for so many years on SportsCenter, and you've done radio. What's this uh, transition going to be like for you? You team up with Keyshawn and Jay, and I know a lot of sports radio fans are excited. Oh, I appreciate you saying that. Yeah, for me, it's a bit of an adjustment. You know, I've worked in TV for 20 years. I'm 42 years old. Um, for the last night, I've been working at ESPN, mostly at night. I've been working throughout the course of the day, some early evenings, some mornings, but predominantly at night with the, with the folks I grew up watching, Kenny Mayne, Linda Cohn, uh, Keith Olbermann. I remember, I'm 42, so, you know, people half my age that listen to your show are probably going to think this is headed to the Smithsonian, but <laughs> I mean, I remember the day we got cable in the house. Like, that was a gigantic deal, getting cable TV. <laughs> and uh, now, obviously, everything's available on a tap on your phone, so things have changed a little bit, but I've always wanted to work on SportsCenter after watching it, after... Uh, growing up as a kid, loving sports, and I got to do it, and it was fantastic. But when this opportunity came up, it was one I couldn't pass up. And look, I mean, Key's the former number one overall pick almost a quarter century ago. There's a lot of listeners and viewers uh, on ESPN2 and ESPN News that are going to get to be reacquainted with Key because uh, they maybe just weren't alive for his playing career. Jay Williams is a little bit younger, but he's a John R. Wooden Award winner, so I got a number one pick sitting next to a number two pick. And my job is just to make sure, as you know, storytelling, radio is about storytelling and pace and talking about interesting things and having these dudes take us to places where most fans, and myself included here, could only wish they could go. You'd love to slip that Duke jersey on one time and stand out there at an overheated Cameron Indoor Stadium with North Carolina in the house and Coach K spitting spackle at you and your heart's beating out of your chest or Keith catching a TD pass somewhere. Those are the great stories. They can take us inside the locker room. I was talking with Key yesterday off the air. We were just discussing what's going on with Doug Peterson and COVID and how that plays in an NFL locker room. And I, I can't give you my opinion because I've never played. I've covered many NFL teams, notably the Denver Broncos for a long time. But I haven't been in a locker room. I don't know what the camaraderie is like. You know, uh, I, the only thing I can tell you definitively is pretty much people have opted out. And the last group of people that's going to opt out are rookies since they haven't made a dime in the NFL. So I don't think you're going to see a lot of them opt out. So I think they're going to be able to take us inside some of these stories that a lot of us have only uh, dreamed of being there just for one night. And it's perfunctory for them. They probably think it's second nature because they did it. They're an act two of their careers now. 
But the reality of the situation is that I think they have a lot to add on a lot of different things. They're two totally different guys. He has a little bit of a Barkley mentality to him. That's a high bar, Charles Barkley, of course. But he's blunt. He's right at you. He's direct, which is what I think people want today. Jay Will's a little bit different. One's a football guy. One's a hoops guy. I think we'll be in good shape. Zuma Mahente is with us, uh, Hail Varsity Radio, uh, kicking off ESPN Radio mornings uh, on August 17th. We've had a chance to, to get to know Keyshawn uh, while his son was here at Nebraska, a couple of different interviews, and he is blunt, and he's a, he's a good listen, man. Uh, when we talk a little bit about uh, that, that locker room experience, and uh, I know you're a Rutgers guy, Interested to get your take with Rutgers football in the Big Ten. I know you've also spent some time in your career in Big Ten country. How do you think uh, Shiano 2.0 is going to go with Rutgers? Well, I think it's got to be the move that was made. I don't think there was an alternative. They were looking at a guy named Jeff Halfley who ended up becoming the head coach at Boston College, who was also very well regarded. Um, there was some uninspiring, you know, Butch Jones. I don't think a lot of people wanted that. That feels like a retread. I think Butch did a good job at Tennessee and at Central Michigan, some of the other places he's been. But it just, it just didn't feel like a great fit. Uh, for Greg, as you know, at Ohio State, since you guys are obviously right there in the Big Ten, uh, you know, he was tied to the Jerry Sandusky situation. Uh, Ohio State AD Gene, Gene Smith cleared him of that, but that has stuck to his reputation, and he has really not been able to get a lot of traction or jobs. You might remember he was up for the Vols job in Knoxville, and a student protest or a protest essentially knocked him out of consideration. So this was more of a marriage, I like to say, of convenience. Um, the fan base wanted Greg Schiano. He's the only coach in the modern era that's really had a tremendous amount of success. Greg Schiano was finding getting back into college coaching was very difficult. The Rutgers needed him. He needed the university. They got together. Uh, just to show you how far behind Rutgers really is, when he asked for an $8 million salary, uh, you know, two governors got involved. When I grew up in New Jersey, nobody cared about Rutgers football. It was in the Big East. It was in the AAC. Uh, the, they needed a telescope to see the Big Ten or even a fraction of the success, of course, that Big Red has had. But at the end of the day, things like an $8 million salary, a plane, upgrades to their football building, these are standard things that everybody that wants to win has to invest in, and it was a big deal to try to get that stuff passed in New Jersey. I would also mention that 13,000 people have died of the coronavirus in New Jersey, and I would imagine that that number is far, far lower uh, in your state. So the idea that Kevin Warren is going to have to bring this together and try to bring it all work with 10 conference games, look, they were the first, the Pac-12 followed, the SEC followed, the ACC followed after that, and yesterday you saw what happened uh, with the Big 12 to round it out. So I'm not sure how well Shiano can do because succeeding in the Big East and the AAC is one thing succeeding when you're absolutely right now the 14th best team in the Big Ten and you're in a much tougher league is another, but I think this is the only hire the fans wanted. New Jersey is, uh, you said you grew up there, and I can rattle off the Jersey kids that were amazing players at Nebraska over the last 50 years. Is, Is Jersey a top five recruiting state in your mind. You've got your California, your Texas, your Florida. Penn State's been so good for so long back east. But Shiano had a lot of homegrown kids that, that were fantastic. Uh, the year Rutgers was number one. Is, is Jersey one of those sneaky, awesome football states? I do think so. Obviously, I think, if I'm not mistaken, you tell me, I think Rozier was from New Jersey. Camden. And I also I also think Jamal Ward was from New yep, Jersey. Bayonne. Yeah, you've got two. Yeah, yeah. Rich, uh, I love Rich. college football, so I remember following all those guys. <laughs> I'm a little too young for Rozier, but obviously him being a legend. 
Um, I think it's sneaky good. You know, New Jersey, think about it on a map. Look at how tiny it looks mm. on a map. It's got 8 million people uh, in 21 counties. I, you were right. I think I Texas, Florida, California, just because you can pretty much play all year round, seven on seven, all that stuff. And then I think you obviously have to throw in Pennsylvania mm-hmm. and Ohio. That probably would be my top five. That's just an anecdotal guess. Uh, but New Jersey is not far behind. If you want to go for the bang for the buck argument, that's the one I like. You know, it's like <laughs> yeah, relative to scale, put it that way. Obviously, New Jersey doesn't have the 40 million people that California has. But I think bang for buck, sliding scale, percentage of the state vis-a-vis the type of players uh, that they put out. Another great longtime Big Ten legend, Ron Dane, another yep. guy that came out of New Jersey, uh, another obvious great player uh, in that conference. So that, that's just one of many. I, can, I mean, Michigan has recruited so well, Jabril Peppers, and you name it. Um, uh, over the years, uh, Rashawn Gary, all those guys have come out of New Jersey. So I think it is a sneaky good state. I think they play really good co- uh, high school football there. Um, but it is a, it, it's, the, it's the old conundrum, right? I mean, how can you have such good high school football there and not have any of these dudes basically go to Rutgers? Yeah, they go to Boston College, Penn State, Syracuse, and then obviously they go all over the country. When I worked in Iowa, that was another place. Albert Young, great running back there uh, about 15 years ago. Uh, the Big Ten tends to pluck out of New Jersey, and Chiano's going to have to find a way to keep these guys there. Every coach in the world that takes the job says, we're going to build a fence around the state. I mean, you've heard that a million times. Uh, and most coaches can do it, but Rutgers has really not been able to do it. Chiano did it the first time around, but the challenge is much tougher now. A few more minutes with Zuba Mahente as we wind down a Tuesday on Hale Varsity. Miss us? Come here, brother. Give me a hug. Bring it in for the real thing. We're on call for you. Catch the podcast at HailVarsity.com, the ESPN Lincoln app, or download them on iTunes. Saddle up, partner. Back to Hail Varsity Radio. A couple minutes left with Zubin Mahente, ESPN Radio. What can college football and the NFL learn? Can we move forward here and, and get some games in? I mean, the reality is simple. If public health was truly number one, we just wouldn't be playing games. Mm. There wouldn't be any bubble. Baseball wouldn't be playing. The NBA, yes, it's been relatively successful, but they wouldn't be playing. And the NHL in the double bubble in Canada, a country with 10% of our population, different logistical situations mm. there. But if it was all about public health, there would be no games. There wouldn't be week zero. We wouldn't be looking for Oklahoma to be playing here in 25 days. You know, Rob Manfred said it. We can't do a bubble or we do it. People would say, well, just go to Arizona or Florida. Well, suddenly they've turned into hotspots and they can't do a true bubble. Even the Arizona plan before Arizona turned into a hotspot, as you know, was to use spring training sites around Arizona. That's not a bubble. A bubble would be one enclosed place like the WNBA in Bradenton or the NBA is doing at the Disney Wide World of Sports. So when people say the MLB should have done a bubble and they have 26 or 28-man rosters, they're going to be pared down from 25 uh, and the NFL, obviously, right now is 80 guys in every training camp. I mean, just, it's logistically impossible to do the bubble the way – it's just so easy to say do a bubble. All right, take 32 teams with 80 players each right now, and Bruce Arians, who's 67 years old, and Bill Belichick, who's older. And it just sounds great in theory, but it's so much more difficult to pull off. I do think the one thing the NFL should do – right now they're testing everybody once every day for the next two weeks. If the positive threshold falls below 5%, They'll go every other day. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, when you make $15 billion a year, I know the NFL is going to lose to 3 to $4 billion a year right now because of no fans or limited fans at games. But if you're a $15 billion a year industry, mm-hmm. just for the PR war, just doing the public relations war, 
you should be testing every player every day. The NFL's biggest problem is they've been accused of not caring about their older players, and now you're telling me if you don't want to put a cheek swab into somebody or a nasal swab into somebody that you don't care about today's players. So that's the biggest thing for the NFL, whether they play, whether they don't play. The fact that after two weeks they may not be testing the players every day is ridiculous to me. If 2020 were a movie scene, what's the movie scene? I don't even think you could write the script, which is apropos because Hollywood is shut down because of the pandemic. But I think this is one of those things where if you would have told me in January all of the things that would have happened here, and we're basically, think about this, we're basically three quarters of the way through the year almost. We're at month eight mm-hmm. on the calendar, just beginning month eight. If you would have told me in January that we would have canceled part of the Big Ten tournament and the NCAA tournament and the Ivy League would have been prescient and they were right and all leagues followed and everybody said that college football absolutely has to go on and it might go on it might not if you're telling me in November 73 year old Mike Krzyzewski is going to be standing there on November 10th when the college season begins and 77 year old Jim Beheim, both of those guys are going to be sitting around five sweaty teenagers drawing up a play I mean what are they going to do there I mean everything that we've gone through at this point has been surreal but what's to come and then it's a Monday night football game in Baltimore on ESPN between the Chiefs and the Ravens, Mahomes and Lamar with a handful of fans there. And like I said, what are they going to do with these two elderly, legendary college basketball coaches? They can't be near these players. Mm. Um, so we'll have to see what happens there. And obviously, the virus will dictate everything. The scary part is we have no idea where August, September, October, November, and December are going to lead us. But if January to July is any indication, it could be amazing. It could be tragic. It could be something in between. Just have to take it day by day. Zubin, uh, best to you. Thanks for a few minutes and appreciate your time with Hale Varsity. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Call me anytime. I'd love to be on with you. You know what? Excited for Zubin and uh, his crew in the morning on ESPN Radio. Fun to chant with him. And uh, great stuff today. Michael Franzese, former uh, mob boss, was with us. Some sports gambling and Mike Tyson and Don King stories. And uh, Mitch Sherman rocked it as always. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 4.